The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory, the dominion, forever and ever. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Jesus' sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Dear Lord Jesus, we praise you for the power of your word. And we wait expectantly this morning, Jesus, to be able to hear from you what you have to say to us. And Father, we ask that you might open the word of life to our hearts and you might be our teacher. Thank you that we get to meet as sisters at your feet. And Father, I pray that you would create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Let there be no sin in my heart, Jesus, that would hurt you or would block the flow of your spirit. And Lord, let the words of my mouth and the words of our mouths 
and the meditations of our hearts and of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Okay, now this morning we are in chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin. It's a very interesting passage of scripture. Remember the two themes in 1 Peter are about what? In our relationships to God and to one another. Two key themes that Americans love to hear. And I think women across the world love to hear. Submission. And then suffering. Submission and suffering. If you and I are to walk with God, we are going to have to submit to the will of God, submit our will to his will, so that it is not self-will anymore, but God-will coming out of your life and mine. And then there is going to have to come into our life. We fall so in love with Jesus Christ that we are willing to be inconvenienced. We are willing even to suffer for him. We are willing to pick up the cross and go the long walk with Jesus Christ no matter what it costs. And that is true Christian faith. That is radical Christian living. But I think that's the only kind of Christian living the New Testament talks about. It is not prosperity theology. It is the cross of Jesus Christ that is represented here. And over and over again, Peter gives the example of submission. Let me tell you about submission. You're to submit to government. You're to submit to employers. You're to submit to husbands. I'll give you who you're to follow as your example in submission. And what is his name? Jesus. And then he said, you're an example for suffering, even if it's unjust suffering for the cause of Christ. And who is our example in that? Jesus. And once again, 4 talks about Jesus as our example. Now, it, it's interesting in First Peter, 42 times suffering is mentioned in the whole of the New Testament. 12 of those times it is in First Peter. Because he is preparing them to be torches at Nero's garden party. And he is writing serious things to them. And he is saying, it is not here where you're going to get the pay. It is not here. It is there. And you have a hope. You are people with a hope. This is not the end. Someday all the books are going to be balanced. And everything that you have suffered in the name of Jesus Christ is going to be paid back in full, exceedingly abundantly above measure. But it is in that land to which we are going. It is in eternity that we are going to spend face to face with him. So he says, Christ suffered for us in the flesh. And he said, if you and I give, ever get a vision of how Jesus suffered for us, for you, for me, if we get a vision of what it costs Jesus Christ, there will come in our lives a longing and a desire to cease from sin. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is an enabling. You and I do not have to sin every day in thought, word, and deed. That's why the Holy Spirit came. That there come, come an empowering in your life and in mine so that we can come to the place where we don't want to have anything to do with sin because it would grieve the heart of the Lord Jesus. So that it is not a breaking of a moral code. It is a violation of a love relationship. A love relationship you have with Jesus Christ. Now, some of you have recently 
entered into a new commitment to Jesus Christ. I've had the privilege of praying with some of you in our prayer room or at different places across town. And you've come to the place where you've said, I don't want to just know Jesus as my Savior. I am hungry to know him as my sanctifier. I want him to make me holy inside, outside, upside, downside. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. But may the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through. How much can Jesus sanctify our hearts? Through and through. So that your whole spirit, soul, and body will be preserved blameless. At the coming day, faithful as he who calls you, he also will do it. But the interesting thing is, a couple of us have gotten together since we prayed together and said, since I prayed that prayer and I know God came in and the Holy Spirit has come into my life in new dimensions, there are things I am seeing in my life that I don't seem to be more holy. I seem to be less holy. And that threw me. And I said, oh. And then another gal came to me last week in the prayer, cl- prayer room and she said, do you know what? She said, do you know what I believe it is? And I knew right when she said it, she was dead on target. It is not that we become less holy. It is for the first time that the blinders begin to get removed from our eyes and there is a crisis of sanctification so that there's the crisis act when it is done. And you say, Lord, I want to give you not only my heart but my whole will. But then there is the process of working it out in my daily life. And as we get into that love relationship with Jesus Christ and he fills us with his Holy Spirit, then we begin to hear him say, Beth, you can't lose it at 5 o'clock anymore. It doesn't please me. But I've lived for 25 years, Lord, losing it at 5 o'clock. No more. No more. And before, I couldn't hear him. I couldn't hear him. And then things when you get cross and crabby, and we do like with husbands. No way, Beth, can you respond that way. Ask me for godly responses for Al. And say, but Lord, this is just how I am. Not anymore, because you're bought with a price in your mind. And out of you can come godly responses, because I want to sanctify you through and through. Now, the sweet thing about Jesus is he doesn't do it at all in one fell swoop. Because there are whole parts of me I do not know yet. Only Jesus knows. So what he does is he takes this and he hits the high spots first. And then he begins to work on that. It's a little bit like the way we clean if we're just going to have the girls over for coffee. And the way we clean if our mother-in-law is coming. And I still clean the same way after 25 years when Al's precious mama comes. It's just like I'm a kid newly married. I just weak, And the kids all say, oh, mama. She doesn't care, and she doesn't. But it's like we have to have everything kissed and put. So there's a way God begins where he begins with the high spots. But then he says, I want to get down, and I'm not moms who comes with no judgment. I'm coming, and I want to get down where you really are so that there's a cleanness all the way through similar to our marriage relationships remember when we were first married and the things and and the things that bothered you now then and after 26 years they don't bother you anymore because what there's more of a one fleshness but it's taken 26 years to begin to get to that point and i i looked it out the other day and i said the best is yet to come we're beginning to begin It's so sweet, and it takes a whole lifetime to enter into that one fleshness. That's the same way with Jesus, only much, much, much more. That's just a symbol 
in our, even our marriage relationships of a deeper reality, the reality of Jesus himself. So that once you and I comprehend what the cross meant to Jesus Christ, there comes in your life and my life a desire to cease from sin. To say, I don't want anything to do with it. And say, I am going to go with you, Jesus. Cleanse me, purify me, set me free, even if it is painful. And it will be painful at times. It will pain, be painful for Jesus to show you and I what is in our heart, actually. And you think, no, that can't be me, Jesus. You mean that duplicious, controlling spirit? That deceitfulness? Yes, it is. Oh, you must mean my neighbor or my kids or my husband. No, I mean you. And as he begins to shine that searchlight in, don't walk away from it. Don't give up in despair. Just say, yippee. Jesus, thank you. You showed me where I am. I surrender it. I submit to you. Now cleanse me and heal me and begin to give me godly responses. It's the sweetest way to live in the whole world. You don't have to work for him. Our paper right here. Living for Jesus is not overwork. It's overflow. It's a love relationship. He said, and you no longer live when you're filled with the Holy Spirit for the works of the flesh. You and I begin to live for the will of God. Wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, what do you have for me today? And that's why that little prayer journal of Margie's is so good. Jesus, what's on your heart for my agenda today? It's not my agenda. It's your agenda. Would you just live your life through me? I just want to let you, I give you all of me. And he begins to spell it out. And no longer do we live for how do I make myself happy today? And how do I work and maneuver people and relationships to get my needs met and get people to do what I want them to do? No. That's how we worked before in the days of the flesh. But Jesus says, I want you now to move into the dimension where you begin to say, to live for the will of God and not live for personal self-interest. And it's the most fulfilling way to live. I read a story <coughs> this week about a precious gal, um, a missionary family, the Scudder family in India. And they were a long line of missionaries. And one of the daughters' name was Ida Scudder. And she said, my whole family are missionaries, but I am not going to be a missionary. I do not want to be a missionary. That we've done our stint on missionary service, and I am going to stay in America, and I am going to get wealthy, and I do not want any more to do with missionary service. So... Ida went, came to America, left her family in India, and was in school and college. Well, she got a telegram from her daddy that her mother was very ill and that she maybe should come back to be, if she wanted to see her mother, she maybe should come home to India. So she, was, she did want to see her mother. So she went to be with her mother in her illness, but she vowed, I am not going to give my life to India, and I'm going to stay in America and get back to America as soon as I can. She said that while she was there, she cared for a mother who was convalescing, and she began to teach in the little school that they had there, and she had a great deal of delight in teaching the young children, but she said, I am not going to, I'm stealing my heart. I don't, I don't want to do this for a lifetime. 
And um, so she battled it. Well, one night she was writing a letter to a friend back home how much she was anxious to get back to America. And there was a knock at the door. And it was a Brahmin, a man who came. And he said to Ida Scudder, he said, Ida, he said, would you please come? My wife is dying in childbirth. And she said, well, I'm not a doctor. I'm a college student. I couldn't come take care of your wife. She said, my daddy's a doctor. I'll go get my daddy. Oh, he said, no. No man could ever go into my wife. And she said, your wife will die. He said, so be it. She'll have to die. And so she went back, and she was angry at the system, and she was angry at God, and she was just angry. And she wrote, finished, kept writing her letter. And a next knock came at the door. And it was another, it was a low caste Hindu. And he came and he said, could you please come? My wife, my child bride, who's younger than you are, is dying in childbirth. And she said, no, I can't come. She said, I'm a college girl. You need my daddy. He said, oh, no, there's not a woman. A a man couldn't come in. And Ida looked at him and said, she'll die. And he said, I know it, but it's the fate of the gods. And she went back to her letter more sober, still angry. And in the course of that night, another knock came. And it was a Muslim, a Muslim man. And he said, Ida, he said, would you come? My wife is dying. And she said, no, I can't come. Let me send my daddy. And he said, a man cannot come. Only a woman can come attend my wife. And Ida didn't sleep that whole night. And the next morning, she sent someone to check on those three women. And all three had died. And she didn't teach school that day. She wrestled with the eternal God about his will for her life. And said, God, what do you want me to do as a woman? Surely do I have to pay the price to give my life to India? And God laid upon his heart. He said, yes, do you know what I'd like you to care for? All those child brides that die in childbirth. I want you to go to America and become a medical doctor and come back and care for these little innocent women that will never hear about Jesus Christ unless one person is willing to invest their life in the full will of God. Costly? Yes. But not only did I discover come back, She came back, and then she trained Indian doctors, Indian women, to be doctors. And when she left, when she died, there were 42 plus a hospital plus a school and a whole arrangement of medical facilities for women that no one ever cared for except Jesus. And they just died like flies. I do not know what God has for you. I do not know what God has for me. But God is looking for some women today who say, Jesus, I will surrender my self-will. I will sit down with that prayer journal and say, Lord, what are you laying on my heart? And where do you want me to invest my life? I am available for your Holy Spirit. And it may be right here in Kentucky. It may be right by the Kentucky River. It may be right here in Wilmore. I don't know where it is, but God says, will you surrender fully to me and let me begin so that my agenda and what's on my heart and what is breaking the heart of God begins to break your heart. And she gave her life and God used her in a mighty way. 
Now he says, if you begin to live for God's agenda instead of yours, so that we're controlled by God's spirit instead of our spirit, that everyone will love you and appreciate you and will shower you with flowers and blessings. Is that what the word says? No. They'll say, why are you not walking the same way you used to walk? Why don't you tell the same dirty stories? Why don't you flirt with the men in the office like you used to? Why don't you sleep around occasionally? Why don't you get drunk at the office parties? Why are you living this way? We don't know what to do with you. And then you have an opportunity, like we heard last week, to be able to say, something has happened in my life. Jesus Christ has met me. And he has made all the difference. And I cannot live that way any longer. And so that we have, and they will not understand for the most part. What will they say? They think you're weird. It says they say you're strange. That you do not run after the same flood of dissipations. And they talk about you. And they talk badly about you. Oh, you just think you're holier than thou, aren't you? You just feel like you're one-upmanship on us. Oh, you've got religion now. And some of you have experienced this personally. I know. I've heard you share where God has met your heart, and then you go back to families, and they do not comprehend the first iota what has occurred in your heart. And at every turn, they begin to put you down. And they begin to pull the rug out of from under you. And they do not know what to do with you. Hold steady. Hold steady. Just keep enduring it for Jesus' sake and asking Jesus to give you Calvary love, to love back even when they make fun of you, even when they do not understand you, even when the people that love you and gave you birth such as your mother cannot clue into where you're coming from. Hold steady, because sooner or later, God will use your very life, whether you ever know it or not, to be a witness and may ultimately be the means of the salvation of that one. One gal was telling me recently that she found the Lord, and her family is not Christian. And she said, and they have been very bitter against her finding the Lord, very bitter. And then to add insult to injury, she married a preacher. And that's made them, they just have been so angry. But she said recently, one of the family members was sick. And who did they call? They called this little seminary couple and said, would you please just, I know you do that thing that you do, you know, like pray to the one upstairs. Maybe if you could just say a few little words to, because, you know, our family member's sick. And somehow, sometimes you seem to get connected. And I said, boy, it's been a long, it's been five years I've been watching that. Look what God's done in five years for even them to begin to even think in those categories. Don't despair. Jesus is at work. And then it says, it, gets, it says, that's what's going to happen as you and I begin to live for God. We're going to get flack. But we cannot be afraid of it. We have to just hold steady, keep loving Jesus, keep holding on, keep praying, and God will bring the increase. Even if he doesn't bring the increase here, he will bring it in eternity. But then he says the gospel, and there's an interesting passage there where he talks about 
the gospel will be preached to those judgment will come because even though they think it's weird that you don't do it, even though they don't accept you, the judgment is going to come on the very people that hurt you. You are not to bring judgment on them, but Jesus will bring judgment on them. And judgment is coming not only on the ones that are living now, but on those that have died. That ultimate judgment is coming on every man and every woman. And that what they have done with Jesus will be the key. He says, but live according to the Spirit of God. That we are to live for God's will, and then we are to live according to God's spirit. And that's in um, uh, verse 6. But then he says, how do we live according to the spirit of God? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. How do we live according to the spirit of God? When we decide to do his will. And he starts with what? Our prayer life. And does he say, deposit your prayers, your mind at the door as you become a Christian? No. Give ourselves to emotional excesses? No. He says, be sober. And then he says, not only be sober, be self-controlled. So that you and I, as we come to the Holy God, he wants us to come with our mind in full gear. And that as we get into his presence, we are to be sober and self-controlled. We are to be serious and watchful. And we are to give ourselves to intercessory prayer. And that is what we're talking about this week. If we're going to walk with God, we begin to need to begin to let God teach us how to pray. And pray for those in our family and stand in the gap. Pray for those that are around us and stand in the gap for them. Ask for, pray for those in our small group. Pray for the leadership of our nation and begin a systematic quiet time and a systematic time of prayer. And not only prayer singly, just with you and Jesus, but every week you meet with someone in corporate prayer. Pray over the telephone. Pray by your bed. Pray in a small group. But you and I, if we are going to live in the spirit of God, we cannot do it without being in prayer. It is the mark of a true believer that we give ourselves to intercessory prayer and then begin to record what God does because God will begin to transform your world and my world. And if there's some things that are so difficult it doesn't seem like God's hearing, you get a prayer partner and you pray every single day. Just pray over the phone. And just give yourself to prayer. If there's some strongholds of Satan that just don't budge, don't quit. Just keep going and going. Remember George Mueller who fed those orphans, took care of orphans, 2,000 orphans at the turn of the century, and he prayed in the money for it? One man came to him and he said, I have five sons and none of them are walking with God. And he said, I prayed for years and none of them are walking with God and I'm ready to give up. I don't see any difference. And George Mueller looked at him and he said, For God is looking for some women like that, and I think women can turn the world upside down if we begin to hold on in intercessory prayer and are not turned back when it gets difficult and we do not see answers. If we don't see answers, don't quit. Hold on and just keep on keeping on until God brings it to fruition. Then it says, Love. We're to give ourselves to a life of intercession. And then what kind of love? fervent love fervent love 
And then it says, love covers a multitude of sin. Let Jesus so cover your heart that the people that you have the most difficulty loving, your love just spills over and covers a multitude of sins in the lives of those that are just driving you crazy. Let Jesus just love through you so that you have fervent love for the brethren. You have fervent love for your family members, so you love like Jesus loves. If you come to the place where you say, Lord, I can't love them, good place to come. Just say, Jesus, I dip into your love. Will you love them through me? Would you love them for me? Would you even love them in spite of me? And then in one of the ways love works itself out is hospitality. And some of you heard Margie's presentation Monday night at Spouse's class on hospitality. That is a very biblical concept, an opening up of our homes and ourselves to other people, not to entertain them, but that there might be a fellowship, the one with the other, with Jesus as our central focus. And it is expression of our love to Jesus Christ and our love to others. And as we do the best job we can, it, with, uh, it can be an utter simplicity or however God... And we minister love to others. God uses that so that the body touches other lives and your life touches others and lives are transformed. And how does he modify it? He says, don't grumble. Because sometimes you have people for dinner and they eat up the week's budget in one meal. And then you say, Lord... And then that gives you an opportunity Say, Lord, I obeyed you, and we were hospitable. But now, Lord, we still have the rest of the week. What are we going to do? And it's an act of faith sometimes, and we can be careful. But there are times you give, and it is not inconvenient to be hospitable. It is not, it's costly. Or you pull that child out of that bed one more time. Or you have to make up beds. And some, but don't be complaining Hebrews says that sometimes we entertain angels unaware and all that hospitality God uses and it is not in vain if we do it as unto Jesus. He uses it for his glory. I think it's very good too for our children to see it. It was interesting when I was growing up in a parsonage family, we always had people for Sunday dinner. In fact, and we had five children and then we had like a standard meal and then we'd invite church people or missionaries or I remember one Japanese family came and we had them for dinner and they were so precious and um, and so we always had 14 or so people for our Sunday dinner and then my brother and I got to do the dishes and it would take us all afternoon to do the dishes because we'd you know throw water I don't know how my mother did it we'd, we'd do tile fights you know until it was time to go to youth group and choir. And we had company. And then every other Friday night, we had, pe- we had a young adult Bible study in our home. So I'd come home from school. We'd polish the silver. We'd spread it all out on the table. I'd vacuum. My brother did the... We'd dust and vacuum. We'd get ready for that Bible study. I still remember some of the people that came in. And it was like we were in ministry together, and we were in team ministry as a family. So it was no problem for me when I got on the mission field as a young bride. When we got home from our honeymoon, 
a family from our church in Kentucky had beaten, beat us home, crawled in through a window, and there were three, four children, two of them in the bathtub, and they were there for the first week of our married life after our honeymoon. So I began, I began feeding eight right off the bat. It, you don't know what God's going to do. And the things in your background that you think, oh, this is, not, this is not going to be any good, those very things you may chafe against in your background, God can use when we got on the mission field. And when you're in the mission field, Mary Sutherland can tell. We would have, you entertain people from the embassy, you entertain people from the river, you entertain other missionaries. I mean, you just have, you entertain all the time. And we were in Medellin. We weren't like in Paris, France. But we had people all the time. And Mary Sutherland lived in Cristalina, which was on the river. And she had people all the time. Because once you came, there was barely any way to leave. So that you had to stay. And so that there's the opportunity for hospitality. And my missionary friend, who we were newlyweds, and we took some of our new things with us to Medellin, she said, oh, I won't bring my big pots and pans. I won't need them. They're just two of us. And she said, woe is the day that I didn't buy them this big for all the people we fed. You don't know what God's going to do. When I came home from the hospital with, when I went to the hospital with Cricket, we had company. When I came home, we had company. And, and just God can use you if we do it without grumbling. And do you know why we had to have so much company? Because you're so short-staffed on the mission field. Because every single missionary is doing 15,000 jobs. Because God needs to awaken the church of Jesus Christ in America so that you and I begin to invest our lives into things that really count so that there's not one missionary doing five or six jobs, but there are five or six missionaries so that they're not overworked. That's why we need to pray for those on the front line. And we need to ask God from the Asbury community to lift up those of us who should go. And that we should be there on the front line to stand in the gap. Just to sometimes feed faces. God is wanting us to get involved in what's on his heart. And so it says, give yourselves to hospitality without grumbling. And you may say, I never have done it. Don't be afraid. Just start out. Just start with a cup of coffee. And do you know what? Give Jesus every teacup in your house. Give him every plate. Give everything in your cupboard and say, Jesus, as people drink tea out of these teacups, let him think, Jesus loves me. Jesus died for me. So that every single part of what we give out on a daily, weekly basis speaks of the presence of Jesus Christ. And even your cup of tea can be redemptive in that one's life. Isn't Jesus precious? And not just for those that are away from us, but for our babies and our children. Let God begin to make us creative wives and mothers so that we are hospitable even to the ones that live in our homes and we minister to their spirits. Then he says, every one of you, minister the gift that you have in you. I love this. Because Jesus has given gifts to every single one of us. And he wants to take the way he's gated you, the things you love, the things you enjoy, and he wants to put his precious presence inside you and then release all that creativity in your life for his purposes that will be redemptive in a lost world. Do you love to make cakes? Give them to Jesus. 
Don't stop doing what you love to do. Just don't make it an idol and give it to Jesus. You know what my sister said in France? One of the things that she used more than anything else was she made cakes. She made little bunny rabbit cakes. And and she's not even a good cook. She just made cakes. And she would take them next door when the neighbors had a birthday. And she'd give them and say, just to be friendly in friendship evangelism. Because they were so long, and the, the walls were so high, there was no way to get in. So she took cookies, and she took cakes, and then she babysat. And the walls began to come down. And you think, well, I'm not, what can I do? Get with Jesus and find out what you can do. Get with Jesus and see what you just love to do. I remember, I'm not crafty at all at all and um but that's but do you know some of you are and you don't want to make that an idol but give it to jesus and let jesus use some of that those things to give to this one or take as a love gift to that one or visit someone that's sick or in a nursing home ask jesus to use what you love to do to be redemptive for the gospel's sake um they divide up here the gifts into like speaking categories that those who speak like the oracles of God which would be preachers or teachers or exhorters like counselors or prophecy but then there's also the ministry of service like our prayer packet today four or five gals gave their gifts to put that together from putting it in the envelope to typing it up to collecting it to getting it available to minister to you. And more and more women are surfacing, like our, our tape ministry, where they're surfacing to say, yes, I can do this for Jesus. And as you are responsive to do that, the whole body is blessed. And it is not that one person can do it all. There's no way one person can do it. But you and I begin to say, what is the gift that God has given me, and where does God want me to invest it in his vineyard? If you have small children, he wants to invest who you are right in your small children. I'm not crafty, but do you know what I am? I love to read. So I remember one time thinking, Jesus, what am I going to do with my children that would be good for time with them? And we could do some things. We went on little trips, and we wor- I worked on it. But do you know what I love to do the most? I love to read with him. So at night we would have our Jesus reading and our verses. But in the middle of the day, I felt like Jesus just gave me this idea. Right before they went down for their naps, we read. We left. We had lunch, then we left the dishes. We curled up on their beds all snuggly, and we read. And we read through great literature. We read through a Peter Rabbit. We read through, you name it, we just read and read and read. I got the bookhouse books and just read straight through them. Remember one time we read The Life of Martin Luther and the, the kids were little. We read it for two hours and none of us came up for air. Another time we read The Fairy Queen by Spencer and, and Cricket was sick and we sat there and read. I don't know what God's getting, and as we look back on it, all of us are readers. But it was who I was, and it was an expression of that to my children. And there was bonding and snuggle time and a sweet time of investing my life in their lives. Now, God 
And reading is important for everybody, but there are other things. God can take who you are because you are the exact mother that your child needs. He made no mistakes when he gave you to your children. And you can sometimes think, well, I wish I were this way, I wish I were that way. Yes, we all do at times. But Jesus made no mistakes, and there is something that only you could give that child that no one else in the world can give that child. And you need to ask God to make you all you can be in Jesus Christ so you do not fail to give that child what is a part of who you are. Maybe it's music. I could not do that. But I have to trust that to Jesus. And so that God can begin to sow and fill us that he can make us the most creative wives and mothers and women that this whole area has ever seen. Then he says that we would be good stewards of the gifts and that everything we do, key phrase, in all things, Jesus Christ may be glorified. He wants us to be, live to the will of God, God's will, not my will. He wants us to live according to God in the spirit, which is to be prayerful which is to be loving, which is to give ourselves and, we, and give ourselves to him in the area of our gifts and our orientations. And he wants everything in our lives that it would bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Then the question is, is that characteristic of your life? Is that characteristic of my life? I heard a sweet story of a mother during the Second World War. And she had four or five children. And her husband was taken um, many times before they were in a, um, under house arrest. And they, he was taken many times for interrogation. And one night and every time she would just go to prayer. And one night he was taken for interrogation. And the burden became so heavy, she woke up every little child in her house, and she said, Honeys, we've all got to pray. Put the baby in the middle. She said, there's something very serious going on in Daddy's life, and the burden's too heavy for me to carry. We've got to carry it together as a family. So the children all sat around their mother, and they interceded for their daddy who had been taken. It was about 5 in the morning. And they prayed and prayed and prayed, and the burden lifted. And about 8 o'clock that morning, she heard steps and felt very frightened. And then she said, no, those are daddy's steps. And he walked through the door and said, right at the time, the burden became so great that she called on all the children to intercede with her. Right at that time was when they were deciding whether he would live or die. And in exasperation, the head guard said, oh, let him just go home. And the father got up and went home. And I just love that picture. Can't you see that little mother? The burden's just so great. And so what does she do? She rallies all the children and says, we've got to intercede for daddy. So that we go out in ministry, not as husbands called to do their thing, and you and I called to do our thing, but God is calling us to do his thing. <laughs> Glory. He is calling husbands and wives to do his thing. And that thing is to reach a lost world using who you are totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. Someone said, what is the secret of great power? 
in the Christian life. And a Christian statesman said, the greatest power comes from those that are the most surrendered. The key for spiritual leadership and power is submission and is surrender. And God wants to send us forth from this place so that we go forth as a team ministry, husbands and wives and children, fulfilling the will of God. Now he says, when you start to live like this, don't be concerned if fiery trials hit you, because they will. And he says, the fiery trial which is to, to try you, Though some think it's strange it's happened, but rejoice. And why it is that you and I suffer fiery trials and we, I still think it's strange. This shouldn't be since I'm following Jesus. When it is, because it is taking some of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And he said, if you do, what you are participating in is the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And you're not to suffer because you are a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. No, that should not be in the life of a Christian or even a busybody or a meddler. But you and I, if we suffer for doing what's right and we suffer because we name the name of Christ, we are to rejoice because we are participating in God's will for our life. And we are not to be surprised when the fiery trials come. We are just to hold steady and seek God's presence in them and let God bring them out. Because that is the only way to live. And this is not the end. The end is coming. And this will all be over. And the great reckoning will be when we get with him. So he says, when you begin to live for God, do not be surprised. If you've just been filled with the Spirit and things get worse instead of better, don't despair. Rejoice, because God is doing something in your life, and the enemy is not a happy camper. And so you need to go forward and not give up heart. But rejoice, because Jesus is working. And if you can hold steady, Jesus will use your life redemptively. And I think that's a thrill. Now, I think Jesus has given us a game plan that I have never seen before as a Bible study. And I don't know, even know if I can explain it to you the way it should be explained, but I'm going to trust. We were called, one, nine years ago, a gal went to Ohio. And she had been in a discipleship group with me. And she, she, the Lord met her, and she was filled with the Spirit, and she was so excited to serve Jesus. Well, she went to Ohio, and there was no one there that understood where she was coming from. They weren't excited about Jesus. They thought she was strange. They told her she was strange. Then they said, you're just crazy and fanatical, and, and they just... So her spirit drooped. But she kept calling back, calling back. And I said, no, hold steady. See if you can find one friend to pray with. Well, she'd find one, and then something happened, and she'd find another. And then she finally got one, and they began to pray. Well, then this friend moved. Well, recently, the friend had just recently moved. God laid it on her heart. She said, Lord, if we could just challenge a few women to begin to see what it means to really love Jesus and follow him, I, I would just be thrilled. So she thought of the idea of a ladies' retreat. So she rented, by faith, a place, 
And they said, you'll have to pay for 25. And she, they don't have much money at all. And she said, Lord, you've got to give me 25 ladies. I don't have any money. So she prayed. Well, 63 signed up. And then she said, now, Lord, what am I going to do for these ladies when they get here? And she said, she called me up. She said, if I, if I give a retreat, will you come share? I said, okay. So she said, well, that's good. We've got the speaker. We've got the place. We've got the women. Now, how do we challenge the women? And she thought, I need decorations. So she went to Kroger and said, I'm having a ladies' retreat. Would you donate a basket of flowers? Yes, we could do that. She went to two balloon stores and said, could you donate two balloon arrangements? Yes, we could do that. She went to Walmart and said, I need 35 manila folders for this retreat. And then they said, yes, we could donate 35. Then she said, well, 63 are coming. Can you donate 63? Lady, we don't ever do this. I know, I know, but could you just do it this time? All right, and we'll throw in a pen and some paper to boot. She said, thank you, Jesus. Now what do I do? Well, he said, um, she said, I sure would like to give him a Jesus book. I'd like to give him an Amy Carmichael book or an Isabel Kuhn book, or a book so that it would stretch their faith and maybe they could see what it means to be totally surrendered to Jesus. And she said, but I don't have any money. So she said, she called the book companies. And she said, would you ever give us some books? I'm putting on a ladies' retreat. And she said, and they said, well, lady, I'll send 25. And she called another company, and they said, well, I'll send so many. She ended up getting 55 books for free. Each one said, we never do this. And I had just called some to get them for our Bible study. And did they get it to us to free? No. <laughs> so I said, you're kidding. Well, then she said, 63 are coming. I don't have enough books. So she called back one of those publishing companies and said, I'm so sorry, but I have 63 coming. Can you please give me some more books? So they sent 10 more, so she had 65. So when those ladies showed up, there were books for everybody. And then she said, they need to be in pretty packets. So she went to Kmart and said, can you give me pretty packets for 65 ladies for free because it's a ladies' retreat and I don't have any money? And Kmart did it. And then, and then she said, so, so then she said, do you know what? I'd like this to be a red rose from Jesus. So in every one of the books she put on our computer, she said, this book is given to you with love from Jesus as a red rose. And then she went to another, like, um, discount store, and she found red rose paper. And she said, would you give this to me for free? I don't have any money. <laughs> and the paper gave them red rose paper so that there were love gifts for every single woman that came wrapped up in red rose paper. And every book was inscribed with, this is from Jesus as a red rose. And at the retreat was called Women for God. <laughs> One lady who got a prayer partner and then waited nine years for God to move in, but she didn't lose heart. Well, we showed up there with four girls. Five of us went. And each one of us gave our testimony. And the night before, we could tell those women were not expecting a spiritual retreat at all. And we just almost lost heart. And the next day, though, we started in with one little woman and her faith. 
and we began to talk about Jesus. And do you know what happened? Jesus came. <laughs> Jesus came. And do you know those women were from 12 different towns? And you know, when we finished, there was such a stirring of God among the women. There was open confession among the women. Doreen has shared about her closet and about having our closets cleaned from My Heart Christ's home. And the women women say, I'm sorry, my closet's not clean. I've never surrendered it. Would you pray for me? I mean, in the whole big group. And I never dealt with counseling when you have 65 women and just open confession. So we prayed right there. Well, then, while that was going on, after it was all over, the women came and said, we want to send out and have prayer at this gal's house. And so they, so they have prayer. But while they were... At the end, it came. If God could give, begin to give, a woman who would touch two women in each one of those 12 little towns around that central Ohio town, do you know it? And those women would begin to pray for revival, begin to pray for Ohio, begin to pray for other women to invest in, and begin to start a beachhead that would lead to a Bible study, that lead to Titus women's discipleship, that would lead to revival in that town, that could lead to revival in a whole area for God. And if God couldn't begin to turn Ohio upside down. And then Jesus said to me, how come you can see it so well for Ohio, but you can't see it for Kentucky? And I said, oh, Jesus, give us a vision. And do you know what I think it is? That if you and I as women would get a vision that those of us staying here would stand in the gap and train those that are coming in, and that those of you who are going out, if we would begin to get a list of all the women that are going out and begin to pray before they ever leave in the next five weeks, begin to pray in their small groups and in our big group, that God would give two or three prepared hearts to pray Maybe one. Started out with just one. One prepared heart to pray. And then begin to lead two or three hearts that are soft. And that God can begin to lead. That they can win them to the Lord. Or can begin to disciple them. And that even before they ever go out. There would be hearts prepared. In Japan. In Tonga. In Brazil. In Colombia. In Ecuador. In Ohio. In Alabama. And that God would begin to let us get a vision of what God could do with one woman who prays in a prayer partner and, or two prayer partners so that there are two or three meeting together, praying for revival and praying that God would move into their town, their city, their church, their home, and in them. How do you start revival? And Gypsy Smith said you take a circle and you draw it circle on the floor with chalk then you step into the circle and say Lord start the revival with everything in this circle begin in me and do you know I think God wants to turn the world upside down and he can do it in our lives and through us as a Bible study if we would get serious about strategizing for him so that as women go out, they are prepared and we cover them in prayer and we are praying for prayer partners and then we are praying for those that are hungry for God that they can be led to.
And do you know what? There's a new Bible study being birthed in Ohio. Have they had trauma? Yes. This little head lady's been sick as a dog. Has she had opposition? Yes. Some of the pastors are not happy. It's a threat. Have, have things go, gone well at home? No. Since the retreat, finances have been as hard as they've ever been. Harassment after harassment after harassment. But he said, don't give up. These are just harassments. Keep on keeping on because God is at work. But, you know, unless we are together, when we get in those fire spots, we are going to burn out. That is why the body needs each other so that we can hold us accountable here. And then as we go out, we can hold out the lifelines to say, we will stand with you. We will not let you go. We will intercede. Oh, God, let us ask him today to touch our hearts with a vision of who he is and who we are and what he wants our part to be in the Great Commission. Because in eternity, you know what he's going to say? He is not going to say, did your preacher win souls? Did your preacher fulfill his part in the Great Commission? Did the missionaries that were in Bible study? No way. The Great Commission is for every single woman. And that is why I love Titus, because it says, invest your life in one other. And it means children and then family and then who he lays on your heart. And God wants to make every single one of us a Titus woman so that we are a soul winner and a disciple maker. So let us ask God to stir our hearts now. Jesus says, we bring come to this hour. We pray you might work. You might draw our hearts to yourself and you might use this, Jesus. That, Lord, we might become women on the cutting edge for God. Give us white, hot hearts for God. And, Lord, we pray for every woman going out. That, Lord, you give her a prayer partner, two prayer partners. And, Lord, you lead them to hungry hearts women that are ready to seek God, women that they can invest in, women where you can plan a work to pray for revival, to pray for the nation, to pray for their community. And Jesus, we just thank you for what you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.